Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. I'm here with Curtis Finney from Silicon Valley Data Capital. Curtis, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ramana. Happy to be here. So let's uh, get our audience introduced to you. Uh, tell us about your uh, fund, investing focus, your bit of your background, how big is the fund, what kind of investments do you like to make. Let's just, you know, get uh, get the audience to know you. Great. Thanks. Happy to do it. And our, our fund, Silicon Valley Data Capital, is an enterprise software-oriented fund aimed at seed and A-round investments. We've, we've already done investments ranging from a quarter of a million to four to five million uh, is a range of, of investing size. The fund size is $60 million. We think it's right-sized for that, that entry point into the space. And we have a focus, as our name implies, on data analytics. My partner, mm-hmm. Jim McLean, and I have been investing together for four or five years in like-minded enterprise software deals with a heavy enterprise data analytics focus, and that has given us a lot of uh, time to get to know each other and, and realize we can do a fund together and, and put the, our combined efforts into what we think is a great opportunity, bringing analytics solutions to the Global 1000 enterprises who really need to move into real-time processing of high-volume, high-variety, high-velocity data, as we are seeing the Googles and Amazons of the world already do. So the pre-internet incumbents of the world are all getting the same amount of data explosion that everyone else is, and they need to build next-generation next systems around that. What Jim and I have put together with Silicon Valley Data Capital is a fund exclusively focused on that solution for the enterprise. We think it's a big market opportunity. Our investors are quite aligned with us. One of our investors, Veris Analytics, is the biggest public company in data analytics, a $17 billion NASDAQ public company. They cover seven verticals of enterprise, bringing proprietary data sets and and data analytics predictions and other solutions and machine learning AI type solutions to the enterprise. We are their eyes and ears on early stage uh, Mm -hmm. technology companies in that space. We have very strong relationships with large enterprises who have purchased companies that Jim and I have been involved in. Google bought Kaggle. Kaggle is a well-known company in space. Yeah. So we see a lot of things through Anthony Goldblum and the, and the folks over at Google's data scientist platform. And similarly, uh, there's a, another large Fortune 50 company that purchased some of our data scientists in, in one of, a, of our other investments that has become a very uh, data analytics play for that enterprise. They, they, we're not allowed to say who it is, but they are very uh, helpful with us as well. And then uh, the GE machine learning platform was uh, built on the Wise.io, another company that, uh, that I was involved in. So we have, we have some strong enterprise connections that give us a view in what enterprises want and then also help us vet the teams, technologies, and markets we invest in. And you said um, there are particular industry tech sectors within that uh, scope of work that um, your investors and so forth, have particular expertise in. Would you like to elaborate on what those are? You bet. The, uh, and, they, and they tend to be the, the data-intensive industries that are yep. all in the in this sort of process of moving along the lines of what our investment thesis is. So insurance is a big one, financial services, yep. 
retail, oil and gas, healthcare, ag, and real estate. So those okay. are the seven verticals that Veris focuses on. And then we also have an investor that's one of the largest logistics companies in the world. I see. And then logistics okay. is another one. And um, could you also double-click down on what your definition of um, stages in terms of seed or Series A, what do you like to see in these kinds of companies that you want to invest in or that you end up investing in? What level of validation are you looking to see? Are you looking to see specific MRR metrics, specific mm-hmm. um, numbers of customers, etc.? We're, we're typically not going to expect much MRR, and the reason is, given our size, we come in in the sort of sweet spot of 2 to $4 million and want to get 10 to 20% ownership. So we're not expecting the company to have you know, multi-million dollar annual renewable revenues coming in. We're, we're more expecting them to just be getting to revenues, if at all. And so, therefore, what we look for is the quality of the team. One thing we've learned, and in, in particularly in the data analytics space, is the quality of the team is a huge differentiator for any anybody who's bringing a solution to market. Yep. Because it, it attracts the best people, the best customers, partners, and channels. And so we put a real high bar on the quality of the data analytics team bringing the solution to market. And then we look, and because it's enterprise-focused, we can look at the return on investment that, that it provides the customer. And in bringing change to enterprise, you need a quantum improvement to bring a new product in, particularly for the startup, right? So we look for a strong ROI solution to, to the enterprise, whether it's bringing top-line revenues, reducing costs, increasing efficiencies, but significant, not just marginal ROI. So in other words, you are okay with companies that are have some customer validation but not necessarily revenue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And we we like to uh, do a few deals. We have a few more deals where we'll put, say, a quarter of a million to $750,000 in, uh, take a lower ownership position, and, and be betting on that team to get to the final product. Maybe they have alpha product or even early beta, but no revenues, and, and it's not even necessarily a priced round. We might do a convertible note with a cap on it. That is a small amount just to give us access to the deal and the team and learn as they go and build, and then hopefully make it a core investment in that 2 to $4 million range, normally with another like-minded investor. Okay. And what about geography? We have a West Coast bias. It's sort of the inverse square rule. As you get further away from the West Coast, our interest uh, is still there, but the bar gets higher. So we have one uh, small investment in New York, uh, one that we're seriously looking at in Boston. But those will be exceptions. The rule is mostly there is a lot of great opportunities on the West Coast from um, L.A. to Seattle, including Vancouver, B.C. probably. But uh, we anticipate 60-70% of our deals will be in Silicon Valley, as our name implies. Mm -hmm. And then the rest will be opportunistic and have to have very strong teams for us to get interested. Okay. 
Now talk about your current portfolio. What are some of the highlights? What have you invested in? And, and especially walk us through the the stage at which they came to you. What did you see? What was the mental process of your deciding to invest in these companies? Sure. I'll give you a couple of good examples. We have a, a company called Augment HQ, and this team came to us uh, through my partner Jim McLean's relationship with the founders. They mm-hmm. have have come up with some artificial intelligence augmentation for real-time uh, enterprise chat support and and soon-to-be voice support. So if you think of a call center taking uh, calls from customers, you, you are typically responding to either technical questions, sales-related questions, or others. And you need to quickly respond to them, whether it's chat or in voice. And there's a real significant difference between the best tech support people and the average. And it's sort of a 90-10 split. And what this software does is it uses machine learning and artificial intelligence to really take the top 10% performers who are very easily identified and augment their responses with best-of-breed solutions that are brought from internal and external databases, and then measure and monitor those top 10% as they continue to build and improve in this sort of typical machine learning cycle, Mm -hmm. and then push those results, because so many of the calls coming in are going to be the same calls or very similar, so you can push those results from that top 10%, which is an augmented AI solution down to the other 90% and you get a huge lift in performance as everyone mm-hmm. starts to move into the same category level as the top performers. And where um, are they penetrating the market? They're going in uh, primarily in the tech support uh, call center space so that uh, technology companies is, is the entry point and they will provide solution to a large range of technology companies as a starting point. I see. Okay. Um, any other company that you want to go to? Actually, before I go to the next company, where, what stage did they come to you at? What did they have when they came to you? They were just getting the idea to, uh, let's call it alpha product, when we invested and that was a core investment, and it, it, that was that was uh, one of these sort of two to four million dollar ranges, ten to twenty percent, and that in this case, ten to twenty percent ownership, because we came in early enough before the proof was there, betting on that team being able to deliver, and we really understood the thesis. And Jim and I had both been involved in this space before, and knew how strong of a value prop they had. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, example? There's another company that's got a similar kind of story called Ansaro. And what is A-N-S-A-R-O. And Ansaro brings machine learning to analyzing the performance of what we call high-volume, low-cost labor tools. So if you think of the retailers or distributors or even manufacturers where they have entry-level employees with very high turnover, and maybe they're seasonal employees in the retail sector, maybe they're warehouse distribution employees where the turnover is high and it's entry-level wages. What has happened is 
the large companies that have those kind of workforces have never, just by the nature of those workforces, have never really learned how to optimize the quality of the employees and and take the, the pool of applicants and put machine learning on which are the best applicants, which ones stay the longest, which ones leave the soonest, what those employees, and then over time, annually, continue to refine and improve and refine and improve, and you can have a huge improvement in the, the quality of employees you're hiring, the retention rate of the employees you're hiring, the performance, and then therefore ultimate success of those employees as they stay with the company, and bringing machine learning to that is providing a significant uplift to the, to the cost of having that high turnover entry-level positions. And we're seeing a lot of interest across multiple sectors, and, and retail and distribution are the first two that, that are the, the most likely to benefit from, and we're just getting product out to market. Came in about the same stage as uh, Augment HQ. So here again, a 2 to $4 million investment, sort of range, and 15 to 20% ownership. So uh, your audio is degrading a little bit. Um, so maybe you want to adjust how you're speaking so I get a okay. little bit better audio. Um, now, are you looking for um, billion-dollar TAM companies that are potential unicorns? Or are you open to the possibility of companies that are going to be you know, solving niche problems with the kinds of technologies that you're talking about, but don't necessarily have the billion-dollar TAM. Maybe there's lower TAM companies, and that are going to result in smaller exits. One of the strategic approaches we've had is both Jim and I believe that investing in early-stage companies with a smaller fund size gives you the opportunity to have excellent returns for your investors with three to $500 million exits. So for us, we can return the fund on a $500 million investment if we do it right, and that does not have to be a, a, a unicorn or a multi-billion dollar marketplace. What it does need to get those kind of returns is very high growth rates. So sometimes, to your point of the niche market, we will look at a smaller market that may not be a billion-dollar market or may be close to a billion but not quite and see if there are the characteristics in that market for explosive growth of the customers so that they, they, there's a very rapid adoption of this new technology or product and getting high growth rates can get you a very high multiple and a high exit uh, value relative to the size of our investment. So we definitely are able to look at a little bit smaller deals, a little bit smaller markets than a much bigger fund size could. Okay. That's actually good because, um, you know, my observation is that we are in 2018, right? There's a ton of stuff that has already been built. And um, if everybody is looking for billion-dollar unicorns-style opportunities, that's going to be hard because we now have – I don't know, six, seven hundred micro VCs operating in the system and, and so on and so forth. So there's a, there's a huge amount of capital chasing um, deals. I, I would even say it's a too much money, too few deals 
situation when it comes to those very high order exit opportunities. So the, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you recognize that there is another way to play this game as well and, and with equal amounts of success. Well, one way we think about it is there is a market size, which is the TAM, the total addressable market of all potential customers. But then there's what we call the net market size, which is if you take out all of the competing startups that are aimed at that same market, you know, what is it really left? If there's 20 or 30 VC-backed companies in and around a space, what looks like a $10 billion market might be much smaller when you get into the competition and the costs go up and so on. If you're in a 500, to 500 million to billion dollar market that no one else has invested in with venture capital and, and let's call it Silicon Valley technology capabilities, then you might have uh, what I like to call bone, the bacteria in the bone marrow opportunity where there's no immune system to stop you from coming in and just taking over that market. So we, we often look for that opportunity where the net market size is not much worse than a much bigger market because it doesn't have all that competitive VC-backed yeah, players that's right. aiming at the same and, and in general, uh, Silicon Valley's philosophy has always been to go after those billion-dollar TAM kinds of markets. And, and since each of those opportunities gets so many deals funded, there, there ends up being so much competition for each of those market spaces. What you're saying is exactly right, is that sometimes going a bit off-center gives you a much cleaner path to and for higher velocity close in deals. And it comes down to how much capital does it take you to get your market established and your revenues coming in where you can be self-funded. And if there's 20 competitors, the, the cost to get above the noise is very high, it's so very the high. amount of capital required goes way up. And yeah. if, if you hear footsteps from uh, 20 competitors in a land grab market, you actually have to be a big fund to be able to play that game. And given that we have decided strategically to be a small fund, we are not as likely to play the food fight game, as we call it. Yeah, great. Excellently put. Um, Curtis, other points that you want to make before we uh, close up this session? What are your well, parting comments well, to the entrepreneurs? Sure. I would, I would just uh, mention that we have a sister company called Silicon Valley Data Science that mm -hmm. has a consultancy aimed at advising enterprises on their data strategies and data architectures. That is a, a number of PhDs in data science who, with us, uh, my partner Jim co-founded that company, and, and we will share uh, technologies with them. They share technologies and deal flow with us. We've actually uh, funded three investments that came from their, uh, their various uh, learnings and teams that they've worked with. So that is another angle that we think helps us have an unfair advantage. Uh, the way Jim and I both have been uh, involved in enterprise software companies for 20 years is coming in early, helping the teams on their go-to-market strategy, their team development, their channel, and partner development. I, I have sat on two Fortune 250 boards, so I have a very good Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 Rolodex. I can almost help our companies get to any company that they want to access for a partnership, customer, exit potential. So uh, we have a lot of late-stage capabilities brought to very small and early-stage companies. 
Very good. Excellent. Excellent intro. I'm sure uh, we'll have a chance to work together going forward. Um, audience, thank you for coming today and listening to this session of the One Million by One Million podcast. Um, be sure to stop by at one of the roundtables. These are working sessions. If you want to bring your project, we will work with you on your project. Uh, go to the website, 1mby1m.com, under free public roundtables, and you will be able to find the schedule. And we look forward to seeing you either at those roundtables or at one of the subsequent sessions of the podcast. Thank you for coming.